Everyone, welcome back to Time Shifters Podcast. Uh, this is your host, Christopher Page, once again in studio with Matt Flynn. Welcome back, Matt. Hey. We had a really fun uh, general discussion last time about all the remakes, reboots, reimaginings, and everything that's been going on. Today we're going to review the film, or discuss the film, uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still from 2008. Unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> I think we'll, it's going to be an interesting discussion, let's, let's just put it that way. I want to thank everyone for joining us once again. Uh, still did not, you know, we're talking remakes, and I really thought we'd be getting some comments or feedback on it. I was a little disappointed in you guys, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but if, by chance, you have anything to say, send anything to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at movies at the mat and at timeshifterspod. Also join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and search for timeshifterspodcast. Uh, I think that is about it. Now, before we get into the uh, main topic here and everything, we do have some news stories. Uh, Matt's got one here that just came up that's, uh, that piqued his interest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just because I kind of, on a general philosophy, agree, even though a lot of people are giving, uh, there's a lot of backlash for it, but Brett Ratner, the guy who directed Rush Hour, X-Men The Last Stand, and the recent movie Hercules with The Rock. Which kind of wasn't Hercules. like Wasn't anyone? Hercules, totally bombed, nobody saw it. Right. Uh, came out and said that uh, Rotten Tomatoes is the destruction of the movie business. And so a lot of people are interpreting that as, well, I mean, I like Rush Hour. I thought it was really good. The first Rush Hour? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, those other two movies, <laughs> yeah, not so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of people are looking at it. Know, he was also a co-producer of Batman v Superman, and that was a lot of what this interview was about, of him saying, you know, that movie didn't do as well as it should have because of Rotten Tomatoes. People are looking at it as, well, you've done some bad movies, and that movie got trashed, and you're just being spiteful. But when you read what he says... Well, just to, to clarify, he, he's saying that, that because Rotten Tomatoes, people are getting giving a movie low ratings on Rotten Tomatoes. Right. He's effectively saying, well, people go to that before they choose a movie. Exactly. And if it's got a low rating, they don't bother. Exactly. And he's saying the worst thing that we have in today's movie culture is Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's the destruction of our business. Now it's about a number, a compounded number of how many positives versus negatives. Now it's about what's your Rotten Tomatoes score and that's sad because the Rotten Tomato score was so low on Batman v Superman. I think it put a cloud over a movie that was incredibly successful. I think he's right and he's wrong. Philo- you know, his philosophy behind it, I agree with that. What you just said, people look at the score and they let that color their decision of whether or not they're going to go see a movie. I like the idea of a review. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of well, what did you think of it? But I usually don't check out reviews until after after I've seen the movie. Because I want to know, well, did they see anything I didn't? Did they agree with anything I thought? Or is this a different opinion? I tend to read a couple of reviews just to get a different point of view. I know people have always looked at reviews like, hey, you know, did Siskel and Ebert give it two thumbs up or not? Right. But to give it just a score, because Rotten Tomatoes pulls in all of those reviews that critics give it. And you can click on the link and actually read the full review, but that's not what people are going for. They're just sort of seeing positive, negative, positive, negative, and that's what they're looking at is the number. I think Rotten Tomatoes would be better without the number. Mm -hmm. If it was just a place to say, well, we've collected all the reviews that are out there and easier access to find them, but people don't want to stop and read a bunch of articles. They just want to go, give me a number, and I'll, you know, I know people who say, if it's under 70, I won't see it. There are movies that I love yeah. that Rotten Tomatoes has a terrible score for. I can't speak exactly on this particular subject. Cause I, I, Rotten Tomatoes, I just assumed, is a little bit sort of like the IMDb ratings. And I don't really pay much mind. I never go to Rotten Tomatoes to find out what the score is. I'll, I'll see it sometimes because it'll be mentioned in an article. Yeah. Or uh, if you dial it up on some of the streaming services, you know, like Amazon Prime even maybe has like the Rotten Tomatoes score mm-hmm. or something. and. That's the only way I know that there's even a score for it. So I don't put much stock into it, and I never, I don't look to it before I go and use it to choose a movie or anything. Right. But, I mean, this isn't anything new. I mean, you mentioned, like, Siskel and Ebert, which are some of the, you know, most famous critics, and thumbs up or thumbs down, yeah. or one thumb up, one thumb down, whatever. And they'd give the reviews. So it's basing your decision on what movie to see based on reviews 
isn't anything new. Right. But uh, when someone behind the film goes on and complains and says, well, the reason no one saw my movie is because it got bad reviews or got a low rating, it does come across as a little bit of just whining. Yeah. (laughs) A little. And I don't know. I... It's possible if that is more of a thing. Maybe that's just not me, and I didn't realize it was that big of a thing for other people to check the Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, apparently, it's more it's, of a thing than yeah, I thought it was. It, it's kind of unfortunate because that's what I agree with them. It's not so much about the negative review. It's about you've attached a number, and so no one's reading the review. They're just saying, oh, look at that low number. That's something you know. on a related topic. Netflix just announced that they're thinking of getting rid of um, – they're like one through they're one through five stars mm-hmm. and just go for a thumbs up and thumbs down, and I find that odd. I I I think that's a bad idea <laughs> because at least with like in the Rotten Tomatoes you have a ratings yeah. you, or a percentage, mm-hmm. and you know if one to five stars there's a lot of movies like you were saying that you know I love that are maybe three star movies yeah. but they're still enjoyable as all hell yeah. And if it was, if I just went on there and saw all oh, thumbs down, oh, that's bad. Well, maybe I won't bother. Right. Oh, that's a shame. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> so it might be something really good out there, or something I'm going to really enjoy that maybe just a lot of people didn't like. Yeah, and, and I mean, admittedly, I like some bad movies. But. Yes, and it, it, and that's okay. But imagine if you started to think, well, I'm not going to look at anything that is below a certain number, or below a certain percentage, or has certain number of dislikes. You'll lose out. Yeah, and but you got to think of this too. Why did it get a low percentage? Right. I mean, there, there has to be a reason. Unless you think that there are just thousands and millions of people that oh, just like to go and troll and give a thing a low rating just to be mean. Right. <laughs> there must be a reason why it got such a low rating. Right. And then you see some movies that have a high rating, and I'm like, there's no way that's a good movie. Oh, because the only people watching and rating it are an audience that I am not a part of. It's yes. like, oh, that's a, that's a movie for teenagers. They loved it. They rated it. I'm not going to like it. I always, uh, again, going back to the IMDb, sometimes you see the ratings, but you've seen only maybe 12 people have rated it, and but they're all like, oh, these really great ratings, but you watch the movie and you're like, what were they watching? And you're thinking, <laughs> you know what? These are these these are the people that worked on the movie. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> these are the family members. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what to say. I yeah, I see both sides. It is possible, I mean, it, it being that it's obviously a kind of a side of moviedom that I wasn't aware of, uh, as far as you know, checking the percentages and the ratings before going to see a film. I I didn't know. I kind of go to, I always go to see a movie just based on what I know of it and what I've seen of it, mm-hmm. and my own personal. Do I think I'm going to like it? Right? Not, did anyone else like it? Yeah. Fortunately, there's not a lot of people who do that. Yeah. I'll look at certain, not not the review, because they tend to have spoilers, but I, I've come to rely on uh, the reviews at IGN a lot, because they tend to, they're, they're, they're very good at breaking movies down, so I'll go and just be like, well, what was their score, just to know, should I see it in the theater, or should I wait? Because mm-hmm. pretty much if I see a trailer and I'm like, that's intrigued me, I'm going to see it eventually. It's just a matter of am I paying for the movie ticket or am I just going to get it out of the library? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. I kind of miss the uh, the days of, of, of Siskel and Ebert because they were really good about getting spoiler-free reviews but being very intelligent about how they reviewed it and would actually explain why they liked it or why they didn't. And my favorites were the ones where they argued over it. Yeah. Sometimes they'd argue they'd both like it, but they'd argue over why it was good <laughs> and that kind of thing. I think that gave you a lot more insight into you know, what that movie, what was involved in that movie, what what that movie was about than, um, than like you were saying, like just you know, user reviews. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. It was yeah, take it as you will. It's either whining or it's a point. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm with you. I see both sides, but just being that he's that close to it, you can't help but kind of fall a little bit on the whining side. Right. <laughs> now, another thing I just uh, I tweeted and posted to your Facebook wall yesterday. I just saw this news story that Disney is not stopping with Maleficent. Maleficent. Wow, that's a harder one to say than I thought it was. <laughs> They're not starting with. They're not stopping with Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> <laughs> they are going to remake 19 of their classic cartoons and 
live action. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe just to clarify from our last discussion, I'm not across the board hating everything that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Something that I forgot to bring up, probably because it's not based on an animated movie, but last year they redid Pete's Dragon. Oh, right. That yeah, was yeah, a I watched that. really good movie. It was fun. And it was completely different yeah. from the original. Yeah, it pretty much had a dragon and a boy named Pete, and that's pretty and much that's right. that's it. it. <laughs> right. They, a green dragon named Elliot who could fly, turn invisible, and breathe fire. That's all those two movies had in common. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, yeah, and so that's a good way to do a remake. Even though that first movie, I, I'm not, I wouldn't say it doesn't age well, but it's clearly a product of its time. It's sure. this fun old Disney musical. If that's not your thing, you're not going to like it. But, you know, if that is your thing and if it's something that, you know, it's a good family movie, but so is this one. And it's a little bit more, it's more modern and it's more... Um, visually pleasing and they did a completely different story um probably with a stronger message even Mm -hmm. and it was wonderful but when i look at these other things i'm like you're just kind of updating the look but not what you're trying to say yeah that's where i'm a little surprised where some of them where i think that some of the attraction of the film was the kind of the the kooky crazy animated characters and what you could do with them in an animated world, bringing it into live action, you know, are you losing a little bit of that? Or, what's, again, it's one of those things that's kind of like, what's the point? Uh, I'm thinking, again, like um, like Aladdin. If even just kind of take away Genie, one of the things that people got a kick out of was, uh, what was his name, Iago the parrot? Yeah. You know, so the only way you could do that is an animated, a CG animated parrot. Right. So. What's the point? What's the point? <laughs> <laughs> that's the attraction. But right. It's all. It's still animated. So yes. What's the point? And and to go along with that, everyone keeps saying, "Oh, they're going to do a live action remake of The Lion King." No, they're not. <laughs> it's going to be one hundred percent CG. It is not live action. Those are not going to be real lions. Well, it? See, that's actually one I'm curious to know what they do. Whether they keep it into that whole animal kingdom thing, or if they do a little uh, transmogrifying or something and and turn it into they call him the Lion King but he's just he's a man they call the Lion King and they tell the story that way that would be interesting but uh, honestly though then then it just kind of turns into a Shakespeare play exactly which yeah they took from Shakespeare to tell that movie so where do you go and they but they keep saying the voice role because one of the other things they said is oh Mufasa it's James Earl Jones again oh what is the point of that (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so you're just updating the t- the style of yeah, animation. Yeah. Right, so they keep saying it's going to be the voice work of James Earl Jones again, and I'm thinking, well, he did such a good job in the first one. Are you kind of saying we're negating the first one? Yeah, could you just not pay him and just use the same right. stuff from the first one? And <laughs> If you're saying, well, there was no one better to do that, it's like, well, then why do the movie at all? Mm-hmm. There's tons of people you could get to do that. You can get an entirely different take, but they don't seem interested in that. And they're calling it live action. Yeah, yeah, I don't get the live action bit at all. Yeah, I would actually be interested to see it done with the story done with real people, people. and just with the same names. Sure. And you could have the little quirks that you know they had in the animated. You could have a... Uh, was it Timba and or um, Timon and Pumbaa? Tim, yeah, Timon you and Pumbaa. Hybrid them. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> but I could definitely see how you could have, um, you could actually cast that and with a little bit of makeup and everything, actually have two fun characters. Sure. You know, human characters that were the same people. So I, I think that could be fun. But then, you know, is it going to be a musical still? Right. Um, yeah. Or is it just going to be this very dramatic Shakespearean drama? Um, it would have been interesting, but yeah, then that it, sounds like a better pitch to me. It does. <laughs> yeah, it honestly does. Yeah, but just doing just updating the animation, I don't, I don't see the point. Right. Because that, like we were saying before, that film is going to date itself faster than the original. Absolutely. You know that one. The original can be watched for generations. Yeah. This other one's going to go. Ooh, that was uh, that was mid, you know, twenty fifteen or so. When was that? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and some of the others they were talking about on that list uh, was a prequel to Aladdin just about the genie in in the culture of genies, calling it right now genies. And I'm thinking, so you don't have Robin Williams. You're going to take this very iconic character that only he could do. Didn't they actually uh, 
in like one of the uh, direct-to-video sequels, they actually used, I can't think of his name, the guy who did the voice of Homer Simpson. Yeah. He replaced the Robin Williams. Right, but it was just a copy. Mm-hmm. But it was the sound. He couldn't replace the improv because right. a lot of the lines of the genie were not in the script. Right. It was just Robin riffing in the studio. You you can't replicate that. So what's the point? Yeah. And I think you know, if it weren't for the fact that the rental business was really big at the moment, those direct-to-videos and the replacements of Robin Williams – I mean, they probably didn't matter for what they were producing and for the market that they were producing it for at that time. But now, yeah, that's 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 tough to to try to do. I mean, that's right. a high bar to try to, especially if you're going to call it a prequel. Yeah. And you're like, so somehow this turns into the genie that we know in Aladdin, right? And, and or is it going to be a prequel to that live action Aladdin that you're coming up with? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I, the only way you could go do it is if you go find some unknown, really good improv actor who is quick and, you know, lightning fast like he was and can just come up with a whole bunch of stuff. But then again, you're copying. Mm-hmm. And people are just going to be like, I miss Robin Williams. You've made me sad. <laughs> were there any on that list that were some of the more maybe uh, – I hesitate to use the term lesser known, but – They did say the sword in the stone. Which we talked about last time, that mm-hmm. that would be a really good thing to kind of see just because it doesn't have much of an audience. It's not right. a movie that's kind of carried over from generations. And that battle between Merlin and Mim with today's uh, effects would look really cool. Yeah, that would be a pretty film to look yeah. at, if nothing else. Yeah, That was on the list. They talked about doing Maleficent 2. I don't know what's left to tell there. It was a very good contained story so unless mm-hmm. you have something interesting and new to say sure keep going isn't uh, the sequel to that like Sleeping Beauty but <laughs> well they did Sleeping Beauty within Maleficent oh, okay. yeah they did you. the whole thing um, but instead of her being she's the hero mm-hmm. rather than the villain and she lives at the end so she's still around Aurora's still around so it's like okay do we need to know more about those characters Someone thinks we do. Yeah. Somebody <laughs> sees the money. <laughs> yeah. It's what it um, is. So I, I, what I honestly think they're building towards, I think they're trying to Avengers this. I think they're trying to do so much live action and that they're going to be like, guess what? A bunch of these characters you know are going to team up. We're going to bring in Maleficent and Simba's going to be there and <laughs> and Prince... Uh, I can't even remember his Pick name. Pick one. Yeah. The, the the prince from Beauty and the Beast is going to have, like, you know, a changeling thing where he can turn into beast at will. Oh, and there you go. It'll be his thing, and and they're going to battle some kind of creature. <laughs> well, I, that seems to be the, the thing. The Avengers, the Marvel Universe and the Avengers, and, you know, Universal is trying to do it with their monster mm-hmm. movies. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me at all if Disney would try Or look at... Um, Oh, well, it's Disney again, though, but it's the in the Lego world. Yeah. And the Lego dimensions and everything. They've, in the Lego movies, they're pulling in all oh, kinds of characters into one story, you know, whether it be Star Wars, Is Batman. It, hmm? it can't be Disney if it's Batman, though. That's got to be Warner Brothers. I thought uh, the Lego stuff was all through Disney. I could be, I could be mistaken. Whoever, whoever has the, the hands in the Lego uh, dimensions universe. Oh, dimensions. Oh, okay. Well, th- through the games and then the in within the movies. Maybe I'm just thinking. Maybe I'm speaking a little out of turn, and not so much the movies, but it's definitely within the games. You can have all these different universes colliding. Yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe it's just like a separate studio that just gets certain rights. But yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's absolutely what they're doing. They're just sort of pulling from everywhere. But back of my mind, I think that's what Disney's working towards with all this remake stuff. Is we're gonna throw them together and everyone's going to be surprised it wouldn't surprise me and maybe it's a little bit too i is um i don't know how well it's doing anymore but once upon a time was a really big hit the the television show was a really big hit for a while and that's exactly what they did it wasn't the disney versions of any of the characters it was more the uh you know the ancient sort of you know the public domain uh mm-hmm. <laughs> fairy tale version of the characters but they all live in this in that same world and right. cross universe and that was really uh, doing really well for at least for a few seasons. I don't know how well it's doing anymore. I kind of lo- I watched the first season. Yeah, 
Um, I actually got the I like got like got like mainline the first season like on Blu-ray or something. Uh-huh. I'm like, wow, it's really kind of interesting. It's kind of fun. And then I tried to watch the second season week to week. Oh, <laughs> I could I couldn't. I think I made it through, but that was that was it. I was done. I got really bored with their Peter Pan. I don't know if that was second <laughs> season or third. I don't know what it was, but I, I gave up around that. And then I heard that they were hybriding all of these characters, and I just started having this joke of like, well, he's actually Sneezy and Captain Hook and Peter Pan and his own sister. Oh. <laughs> I didn't, yeah, see. They, yeah, they started I left like, it behind, yeah. <laughs> I, it was something like one character was Rumpelstiltskin and yes. the Beast. Yes, they did kind of play that. That's yeah. weird. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic uh, actor and character, though that was the, that was the highlight of that show. Though, okay, was, uh, I'll, I'll have to take your word for it. Yeah. I don't want to go near that. <laughs> it was a uh, Robert Carlyle, I think, the actor, uh, really great. But yeah, I, it wouldn't surprise me if that's what Disney is doing. Um, and it remains to be seen how well they can do it. I mean, it remains to be seen whether Universal can pull up what they're trying to do their yeah. whole you know giant universe uh, i think uh, the tom cruise the mummy is going to kind of kick that off they they're going to i think the dracula they put out um dracula untold or whatever okay was going to be the kickoff but that didn't do so well so they went <laughs> okay again. okay mummy will be the kickoff you know so we'll, and they're doing it with uh godzilla and king kong and yeah bringing those two back together yep yep uh we shall see <laughs> I wish there was video of you right now. (laughs) Well, I saw the first King Kong versus Godzilla. You know, I'm sure if they want to do it. I'm waiting for them to figure out what they're going to give King Kong to battle radioactive breath in this, (laughs) you know, new universe. Maybe he's got iron fists. (laughs) Yeah, they they gave him lightning power or something in the first film. So (laughs) I will see what happens. All right, well, I think that's it on the news. We're going to take a short break here, play another promo for another podcast. And when we come back, we will discuss 2008's The Day the Earth Stood Still. C-3PO, Loki, Mace Windu, Dr. Bruce Banner, Captain Rex, Venom, Princess Leia, Jean Grey, Darth Maul, Nick Fury, Grand Moff Tarkin, Captain America, Lando Calrissian, Cyclops. What do all these characters have in common? Well, two of them were played by Samuel L. Jackson. A couple of them were played by Hammer Films veterans Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Come on, guys. You know this. Well, of course we do, Jessica. Just like Mickey Mouse and Captain Jack Sparrow, they're all now Disney characters. Hello, I'm Tracy of the Disney Indiana Podcast, and my co-host Scott and I enjoy talking about all aspects of the House of Mouse, and that includes their newest properties, Marvel and LucasArts. We also talk about Disney resorts, the cruise line, theme parks, and whatever else Mickey has to offer. Which includes movies, Imagineering, video games, and collectibles. You'll never know what we'll decide to talk about. So check us out at www.disneyindiana.com or do a search for the Disney Indiana Podcast on iTunes because now we've got a lot more to talk about. And don't forget about those other quote-unquote Disney characters like, well, Sully, Fozzie Bear, Buzz Lightyear, Link Hogthrob, Doug, Janice, Merida, Pepe, Bruce, Ralph the Dog, Wally, Dr. The Disney Bunsen Indiana Podcast. Even after five years, we're still miles away from the nearest Main Street, USA. We're not listed on the map, but you can join us at www.disneyindiana.com. All right, we are back. Thanks very much for sticking with us. Before we really get into discussing uh, the film, uh, the topic today, I did, and I, I always do this. I told you I would think you asked me the question about was there any remakes that I thought of that was better than the original, and I did think of it as soon as I turned off the microphone last time. Uh, Fright Night was the remake of Fright Night. I enjoyed a lot more than the original. Okay. And that, that is a you know them, them's fighting words for a lot of people, <laughs> but I I saw the the, the remake. I hadn't seen the original in a long time. Saw the remake, really enjoyed it. Went back and saw the the original. No, I, I'll go with the remake every time. Okay, was, I I haven't really good. I haven't seen either. Um, 
Is, is it a horror? Yeah. That's the thing. I don't dislike horror. I just it's don't. It's horror, but it's a, it's more of a horror. It's an action film with a horror element. of yeah. the, It has a vampire. It's a vampire. Okay. You know. I, I don't seek them out. It's one of those things where somebody has to be like, you're watching this, and then I do. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Speaking of uh, you're watching this, I, I, I lent you a copy of Seven Samurai, which you yeah. hadn't seen. You were curious of seeing, because that had been remade into the, the two Magnificent Twice. Seven. yeah. And, and also remade into Battle Beyond the Stars. Oh okay. <laughs> there's I didn't a know sci- that. There's a sci-fi version of it too. Oh wow. It's not good. I was going to say that it's I don't It's cheesy as all get out. It's enjoyable because it's so cheesy, but mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like Seven Samurai. I had to watch it throughout a day just because of how long it is and yeah. heavy it What'd is. Yeah. What you say it was like 3 hours, 2 and a half it's, hours? It's 3 hours and I mean it was so long that they they left in the 25 minute intermission. Oh, there you yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like is it, oh, okay, and I just kept skipping forward. Um, yeah, because I said three and a half hours. I was like, oh, my God. So about three hours if you take out the intermission. Yeah, and I skipped the intermission, um, but it was it was the day that I do a lot of stuff around the house. I was like, oh, i got to do the laundry. i got to clean this. i got to do that. And so I'd pause, and I'd come back. So five hours later, <laughs> I finished the movie, and I really, really liked it. The one part that was, I struggled with was – the characters don't directly address each other a lot, mm-hmm. and so I'd have to be like, wait, who's talking? I'd have to look them up and make sure I kept everybody straight. A few characters I kept straight, um, but overall I'd be like, wait, who are you again? Because everyone's sort of dressed in the same tattered yes. clothes, and I just kept going, uh, you look alike because it's black and white and grainy and it's not the best quality and you don't really jump and you're all wearing rags, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know who I'm looking at. Oh, so-and-so died. Who was that again? Someone say a name. <laughs> right, yeah. and they didn't do that. And then I was talking to my wife, who is an Asian studies major, and she's very into Japanese culture, and she goes, that's actually really common for Japan is not a lot of speaking people's names. It's just sort of talking. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, so it makes it relevant. Right. Um, but, yeah, I really liked it. I liked the idea of this this aging ronin decides to do it just because it's the right thing to do and Mm -hmm. the the part that i liked the most which was something that they plugged right into the western version was the you lost the 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 fake duel with the two wooden swords and you've got the one guy who's the experienced swordsman and the other guy who thinks he's the experienced swordsman and they have their their fake duel and the guy's like it's a tie and the other one's like no you lost, and in the Western, it's a knife throw versus a, a firing a gun. Mm-hmm. Like it, I won, didn't I? I? I hit the cup before your your knife hit the post, and like, no, you lost. It's like, well, let's do it for real, and that's how it works in both movies. And I'm just sitting there going, this is like the duel with the <laughs> knife and the gun, but it's with swords. This is cool. They just moved that right over, and I would really enjoy. Even though I knew exactly how it was going to end, I was so pulled in because I love that scene mm-hmm. in the Western probably my favorite scene in the movie which has nothing to do with the overall <laughs> narrative but it's no. just he's just um who's the um who's the actor Bufune? no right? no it was the oh shoot hold on in the western it was james coburn mm. he okay. was the he was the knife thrower and it, he just plays that scene so cool and so calm and he's just taking a slow sip of water and being like you lost and then he just go. he lies down, he puts his hat down, and the guy's firing bullets at his feet, and he doesn't even flinch. And mm-hmm. they did such a, a similar, you know, well, they took from, from the sure. the samurai movie, and it was, it was, both scenes were wonderful to watch. That was a question I had for you, is how did you think, what did you think of the translation into yeah. the Western? It sounds like you... I I feel as, as, as that story, it maybe it's just because... I'm an American. I think it works better as a Western of the idea of a hired gun mm-hmm. works to me better than a hired Ronin. Since that sounds like a very hard thing to do because that's, you know, they wandered around. Not all of them were working in the military. Some were just trying to find work to do, but it's just sort of hard to believe that this, this, um, more of a, of a higher class would care about these farmers than it would just, hired gun that's what they do mm. like they'll do whatever you want <laughs> the other thing i like more about the western is you got to know the the villain he had a personality and a presence and when he rode into town everyone was afraid whereas in right. seven samurai it was just the bandits right you d- 
didn't know their leader. They were just known as the bandits. The bandits are coming and we're afraid. And so you're more afraid of just this group rather than a guy. And I mm-hmm. think a guy can be scarier. Gives you a focal point. Yeah. It's like he's rounded everybody up and he's the one to be afraid of. If we can take him out, they're they're screwed. But with the bandits, we got to kill them all. And that sounds like a, a harder thing to, to defeat. Yeah, excellent. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, I was a little curious because it's not a film for everybody, um, especially the length. It does. It takes its time. You know, it tells its story and mm-hmm. takes its time telling you that story. Yeah. I, I, I've recommended it to other people, and they've tried it, and they're like, no, nah, this just wasn't for me. And mm. so I'm, I'm glad that you, you enjoyed it. Yeah, you got to know several of the characters very well. You could understand why this village of farmers was so broken but and i love that scene where they present like all the weapons and the armor and the samurai get upset they're like well that means they killed other samurai and then you find out that the one guy was the son of a farmer and he's like yeah of course they're like this samurai made them like this Mm -hmm. you've stolen from them you've you've murdered them you've burned their villages down why wouldn't they become animals and fight back right and then it's that to me was the best message in it Mm mm-hmm yeah, excellent. All right. I'm glad you, really, really, really glad you enjoyed that one. Now, a little backstory for those who maybe didn't hear our discussion last last time or any of my uh, discussions on this film. This is a film that I kind of refused to uh, acknowledge existed. I, I refer to it as the movie that shall not be named. I've avoided this film for nine years now because I am such a fan of the 1951 original, The Day of the Earth Stood Still, that the very idea of someone trying to remake it, just it, talk about sending shivers, you know, down my spine, and not in a good way. So I never saw it. I read very little about it. I I just refused to acknowledge it. (laughs) So in, in our last discussion, I decided that, you know, these films that are based off a an original uh, premise, a, a book, a short story, which The Day of the Earth Stood Still is. Um, Farewell to the Master is the short story that the that they are based on. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go ahead for the for the sake of the podcast. I'm going to discuss. I'm going to watch the film with that in mind, and see if it was a remake of the first film or a different take or a retelling of the source material. This one, Matt, was a definite remake of the first film. Yes. You know, Farewell to the Master is a short story, and the first film looks nothing like it. Mm-hmm. So even the first film parts from the source material right. a lot. So this film, obviously, you know, they have to, in the credit, have the name of the short story. For legal <laughs> in, reasons. Legally, for legal reasons. But no, this is definitely a remake of the first film. And it departs from the first film. <laughs> Yes, the, yes first, the first film departs from the source material, and this departed from everything. <laughs> yes, it did. And, and I don't even know. I don't. I don't know if I should. I don't even know where to begin on this. Or, you know. I know exactly where to begin. All right, I'm glad someone does. The opening credits. Okay. That alone, if I knew nothing else about this movie, if I didn't see the first movie, the opening credits annoyed me because Jaden Smith got billed before John Cleese. <laughs> How dare you? And this is before anyone really knew who Jaden Smith was. This yeah, was before yeah. the Karate Kid. This was before people started looking at him as a terrible actor. They were just sort of like, oh, Will Smith's Will son. Smith's kid. He was pretty good in The Pursuit of Happiness. He's not good in this. But to bill- even though John Cleese has a one-scene cameo, you don't put Jaden Smith ahead of John Cleese. This is a founding member of Monty Python. This is a star and a master of his craft. And then this is just some celebrity's kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that I saw that and I was like, what the hell are you doing right now? What are you trying to tell me about well, this movie? Maybe they put it in order of screen time. <laughs> There's no excuse. There's no excuse. Because even then, you got the... And Kathy Bates. Oh, right, yeah. And, you know, that's fine. You could have done and John Cleese and Kathy Bates, but yeah. no, you did Jaden Smith and then right after, John Cleese. And I went, what the hell? <laughs> it's a kick in the teeth. Yeah, maybe casting is is really a good place as any to start with this. Uh, <laughs> Jennifer Connelly 
who, you know, I had such a crush on her back in the days of Labyrinth, you know, when I watched that when I was a kid. And now she's all right. She's a moderate actress. I don't think she's spectacular. No. Um, she, she's Her role is interchangeable with any number of actresses yep. uh, in this. Keanu Reeves, who, of course, is the, the star of the film as Klaatu, you described him as when you saw him in a trailer, it was like someone who who discovered that they had a hand. Well, yeah. that's exactly how he plays it through the yeah. entire thing, which I guess in a way makes sense because supposedly he's sort of an alien that's been born into human form or something. So hands may be new to him. Right. I don't know. <laughs> you know. But yes, he plays it deadpan and just bland through the whole thing. I kept thinking, which I'm guessing was a a choice that has to have been a directorial some choice. That there, I know. think it was the director going up to him and said, "Emote less, mm-hmm. no less than that, less than a corpse. Emote less than a corpse," because that's how much he brought to it. Was just not, he just looked like he was reading his lines, right? Like like he got it for the first time. I mean, and and in their in their defense, he's an alien, so the idea of him coming and having human you know, emotions and human family or reactions would be maybe a little bit of a a cop out. So, but I think maybe to the extreme that they took it, maybe it's just a matter matter of extremes. But then it's because when you look at the original movie, Klaatu was full of emotions and he was, he was very human to -hmm. relate to. And you cared about that character. You didn't want him to get caught. Right. In this movie, I'm sitting there going, shoot him. I don't care. <laughs> shoot him twice. Uh, Jaden Smith is in this as the stepson of Jennifer Conley. That's the casting that I really couldn't understand. It's like, what's the point of putting him in there? Because now you have to explain that she married his father, but then the father was dead. You had to explain why Jennifer Conley had Jaden Smith as a son. Right. And it was like, why are you wasting time with us? Because now you got to right. you got to weave that into the story, and then you got to put it into the kid. Now the kid has to have these you know uh, uh, traumatic issues with the his dead with the fact that his dad's dead and he's right. got this stepmom and why? Right. I mean, they're trying to explain why he kind of doesn't listen to her and respect her. It's like, well, he's a kid. He's you a kid that. whose dad died. <laughs> That's all the explanation I would need. No, we really got to make sure that we everyone knows that this is her stepson. Why? <laughs> like, we got it. Well, and it was just a matter of because they cast a kid that obviously, or not obviously, but most likely couldn't actually be her biological son. Yeah. So it's like, well, why? Except for maybe trying to be, I don't know, politically correct and to be a diverse cast or sure. something like that. And that's fine, but if it's going to harm the story, I just don't think it played to the story. It no. was it was extra information that we that did didn't work, mm-hmm. and you know it it, it probably would have worked if Jaden Smith was a good actor, maybe, but he's not. Yeah. <laughs> he he's good at one thing, whining, and he did that a lot in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't make you like his character. It makes you just go, "Could you shut up?" <laughs> Well, even in the first film, you had a very typical, you know, it's it's 1950s white America. Yeah. And, but it was it was still a young boy, and he had his mom, and mm-hmm. his father had died in service yeah. of the military. And you still felt for the kid. The kid still felt, you know, the loss of his father. He was still a little up in his mom's face every now and then, in, in the 1950s way. Right. You know, he certainly couldn't be like today. Right. But he would sneak things or something like that, something fairly innocent. So you could you could do that with a it's a mom and a son mm-hmm. and lost his dad. Just the extra bit of oh and it's step and they married and they died and and you had so now we got to weave that all in and explain it with all these ridiculous little moments and boring like I don't care yeah <laughs> and yeah it just wasn't cohesive it it didn't flow it didn't really play to what they were trying to say and then when it was time to make all of that backstory and emotion come to a head it felt really forced mm-hmm. um and you've got Clateau being like nah humanity you're you're a disease i'm gonna wipe you out i i put my foot down i'm steadfast in this and then we've got jennifer conley and jaden smith 
hugging and crying in a cemetery. And he's like, oh, I've changed my mind. Yeah. Just like that. Like, okay. Thank you for <laughs> telling me and not showing me why anyone cares. I think that was one of the things that struck me was the, you know, the story. In the end, you know, the kid discovers that Klaatu can bring people back to life somehow with his oh that's one of the things i really hated was they yeah. gave Klaatu effectively superpowers. magic powers yeah, yeah superpowers that was really annoying mm-hmm. but so yes he could bring people back to life and so the kid takes him to his dad's grave to try to get him to bring his dad back to life Klaatu explains that he can't do it the kid you know the kid breaks down oh i hate you whatever takes off and like literally five five minutes later uh, there's a scene where the kids and David Klaatu says, and then everyone's everything's okay with the kid and Klaatu. Yeah. The kid's like, oh, Klaatu's a good guy. You're like, wait a minute. You just hated him. You just hated him because he couldn't bring back his father. You just watched him destroy uh, two helicopters full of men. Mm-hmm. And somehow all that angst that you were carrying throughout the entire film and building up to, eh, it was it was nothing. <laughs> right. Like, what? Right. <laughs> What happened two scenes ago? You forget? <laughs> yeah. This movie came out around uh, the time, like, a lot of movies, like, it came out of that whole, like, destroying the Earth, you know, the day yes. uh, the day after tomorrow. Um, oh, what was the other one I was thinking? 2012. 2012, yeah. I hate that movie. <laughs> it's another movie where it's just sort of like, we're going to do this. Did you forget? <laughs> no, I... That's a whole other discussion. <laughs> yeah, and so it was capitalizing on that of, look, here's another way to destroy a building and mm-hmm. take everything down. And, and you know, and it was also still trying to do, like, Matrix-y kind of stuff of, like, the part where it's, like, flying through all the electrical cables to show, like, how he's infiltrating, you know, right. our electronic devices and he's knocking... With the superpowers. Right. We've given him a lot of superpowers. Like, he can literally take and give life and... Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's got his little magic salve. He can, you know, fix anything. And it's just sort of, what did you want this movie to be? Yeah. Especially since Clat 2 in the original movie is this peaceful messenger. Yes. Who's there just to sort of say, humanity, do what you want on Earth. Right. The moment you come into space, we're going to intervene mm-hmm. because you're dangerous. And the newer movie he's there he's a villain yeah he shows up to say i'm here to get a report on humanity and if it you don't pass i'm wiping you out but then we're supposed to believe instantly oh he's the hero now like no this is his fault yeah oh he's gonna save them he put them in danger many people have died yeah if this new movie was trying to tell a message they didn't do a very good job because i honestly is like is this an environmental message yeah. is this anti-war is this both what is it because i mean in the original in the very end his Klaatu's final words spell it out literally spell it out in a very I mean, when I was a kid, I didn't even pick up on it. It was one of those things where I, when I watched it as an adult, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Did he just say what I think he said? Right. And this movie, none of it. I mean, it's it's not there at all. I have no idea what they were really trying to tell me. Yeah. that that That's probably my biggest problem with the film. It's like, what were you even trying to accomplish with this film right. other than making it disaster porn? Yeah, exactly. The other thing I, I kept thinking of is when the, when the – you know, he, he gets back to his ship and he activates like this global EMP and it takes out the swarm that's going to destroy everything. But it takes out everything electronic. I w- was waiting to see like planes falling out of the sky. Yes, I was waiting here. to see like everyone flatlining. Well, not flatlining because their monitors don't work, but just everyone dying in hospitals. And I just remember thinking, like, wow, millions of people just died. Mm-hmm. You know, people stuck in elevators that they'll never get out of. Yeah, the the day the air stood still, they, I think they turned it into a little bit more of, kind of try to turn it into more of a metaphor than an actual physical occurrence yeah. in this film. And then, yes, the except for the, the, the big EMP thing, which, I don't know, I don't think it was a permanent, it was like just a few seconds or whatever. I'm still thinking, there's planes in the sky. Right. You know, I, think, that's the first, that, I thought the same thing. I kept waiting for the planes to fall. Yeah. They conveniently uh, uh, just Cut left to that black. out. Yeah. <laughs> and 
don't know. I would have been interested in that movie. <laughs> um, but then I just kept thinking, so is it a temporary EMP? Is it permanent? Did he send? Because he said, you know, stopping this will forever change humanity. That's what makes me think it's permanent. So he sent humanity back to the Stone Age. Well, everyone's going to die. Yeah. Because we don't know how to live that way. We don't have Wi-Fi now. Right. So (laughs) only a few survivalists are going to make it. There's a great world to repopulate. (laughs) And, well, isn't it all just going to start again? Like, he just delayed the inevitable rather than stopped it. So in another few hundred years, right back to where we started. Yeah, and speaking, not only did the audience not get any, you know, message from this film, the, the film didn't. itself didn't get any message. No one knows why this was happening. Yeah. No one knows why he was doing this. Except for two people we don't care about. <laughs> exactly. So, why? Right. <laughs> Just to show more destruction. Like, that one scene with the the tractor trailer driving and the swarm consumes it mm-hmm. looked kind of cool. Yeah, it did. And then it was over. Yeah. <laughs> well, on, on its way it went. Um. I was trying to find the best way to describe this film, and it's it's been said before that the uh, the greatest crime a film can do is to not make you feel anything. Yeah, you know you can you can love it, you can think it's funny, you can it can make you sad, you know you can hate it. This film, I, I couldn't even care enough to hate it. I mean, it was literally like I watched it for like two hours, and it's like one of those things where you find when you sit down to go online, you're playing games, and you realize oh. Two hours is gone. I mean, that's how it really felt. It was like this not, it's a, it's a non entity. Yeah. Everything about this film, within the film, non entity. And then watching the film, I don't even feel like I watched it. I, I could have just <laughs> not watched it and still probably talked about it. <laughs> there were parts where I started zoning out and I just like went to my phone and I was just, I need to fill a little bit of time here because I know what I'm seeing is completely irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And so there were probably there's probably like a good ten minutes that I didn't actually take in at all. Don't really feel like I missed out on anything. Um, I, I would look up and just be like, "What did they say?" I don't care. Yeah. And the only thing I felt like it ended. It cut to black. It said directed by, and I just went. I yelled, "What the hell was that?" And it. I was angry. I was just angry at how it had nothing to do with the first movie. It. It had nothing to say. It, it's from start to finish. It's probably the worst movie I've ever seen. Wow. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of bad because a lot of those other bad movies you can sit and have fun with. Mm-hmm. You can just be like, "Look, you can see the boom mic." You know, yeah, something. This is just they made a full Hollywood movie, but it's hollow. It's completely hollow. It is a waste of time. Yeah. And that's that's the best description I can give the entire film. It's a waste of time because it you will not feel I, I don't feel worse for watching it. I don't feel better. I don't feel anything. <laughs> I literally don't feel anything after for watching this film. I just remember feeling angry. I, I <laughs> So you had a more visceral reaction than yeah, I did. I just I it just I watched it and went, Yo, oh, so that was that. <laughs> and probably because my first viewing of the, the original movie was only a few years ago. So it's mm-hmm. you know, and I, I meant to rewatch it just to put it fresh in my mind, but I didn't have time, so I just sort of reread the synopsis to remind myself of stuff. Right. But I just remember going like, oh, they skipped that, they skipped that. Like, oh, people named Gort. Like, you guys just want to shove that name in there mm. rather than him go, oh, that's Gort. <laughs> like, yeah. And that, that sounds like the name an alien would give his robot. Right. Not the U.S. military. <laughs> yes, what was it? Uh, genetically organized robotic technology yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just really needed to you shove the word really Gord in shoehorn there. that one in yeah. someone wanted our name to be shield like that's what that is <laughs> that kind of thing it's another one of those matters of why why did you even bother uh you threw the casting was why did you even bother why did you bother throwing in jaden smith why did you throw bother throwing in john cleese you mentioned john cleese why why bother bringing him in for this it made no sense no. to do it. It could have been anybody because it was just a just to remake that scene of he's meeting that guy and he's and when he's redoing the equation. I was yeah. like, oh, they're doing that part. Yeah, and this guy actually makes less sense in this film than it did in the first film. Yeah, in the first film, this scientist you gave you had a reason to, for 
Klaatu to want to visit him. Right. And you knew what he was working on on this board. They actually have some cute lines about, uh, I remember him, you know, he erases it. Uh, the, the scientist isn't there. He's out. So he Klaatu erases a little bit, fi- fixes the equation and leaves. And then uh, the scientist comes home and sees it, contacts Klaatu. And he says, does this work? And he's like, works well enough to tra- for me to travel between the stars, you know. <laughs> so you, you know what's going on. Yeah. This is they just, don't explain anything. He comes over, he starts erasing, starts, uh, starts writing. Then John Cleese walks in and starts filling in more blanks. And they fill in the blanks together. And it's like, oh, like, what is it? Right. And he's like, can <laughs> it this be just as e- It could have just easily been a recipe for sponge cake. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and he even says, like, is this real? And he's just like, yeah. That's the end of that. <laughs> like, yeah, what? <laughs> and But the thing that I found interesting that I looked up, because when we were talking about, like, oh, the director had to have had a hand in Keanu's acting. Do you know who it was? So it's it's Scott Derrickson. This was one of his earliest... It's not um, a name I'm familiar with. Well, it's interesting because he just did a very successful movie you may have heard of called Doctor Strange. You same almost di- you, same director. You almost same, did a spit take. I almost, I, I almost ruined a microphone. <laughs> yeah, the same director. Same director of Doctor Strange. Yeah, directed the Daily Earth. Yeah, story. he's come a long way. <laughs> well, I'm glad he's improved. Yeah. <laughs> so when I went and looked, he he did uh, the first thing he did was a short called Love and Ruins. Never heard of that. He did something that's just credited as a video for Hellraiser Inferno, but then his first real movie was The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which I haven't seen, but I've heard a lot of of good things about it. Um, And then it was The Day the Earth Stood Still. But then he did Sinister. He did a movie I haven't heard of called Deliver Us from Evil, and then he did Mm. uh, Doctor Strange. Wow. All right. Well, I look forward to seeing what this guy does next, because he's getting better. He's getting better. (laughs) Um, he, yeah, he only has eight directing credits, and not all of them are movies. But yeah, he, he I don't know who at Marvel Studios came along and said, I know who we can put in charge of Doctor yeah, Strange. Yeah, that's actually <laughs> surprising with the, 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 that few credits to put yeah. him in charge of one of their, their big kind of... Risk-taking movies. Yeah. I guess to keep costs down. <laughs> that's the only thing I can think Someone of. Someone to shift the blame to if it didn't go well. Right. <laughs> well, look, he did the Day of the Earth stood still. Well, you didn't know I mean, that? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what we were thinking. <laughs> And, yeah, he wrote it, too. He has the writing credit. Um, For Strange? Yeah. Oh, wow. All right. Uh, so I thought that was... So I was looking him up, and I was like... And when I saw Doctor Strange, I was like, surely this has to be some movie that, from that the wasn't 70s. The 70s. Was that right, the that's TV? what I thought. <laughs> I was like, he did the 70s one. Nope, that's Cumberbatch. Wow. <laughs> you you can get better. You can yes. You can learn from your mistakes. Because he, he got a lot, a lot out of that cast, and he did a lot with that movie. Well, and... The director isn't always necessarily one that I immediately blame on because sometimes you know they are paid. Here's a script. Maybe they had a choice to do it. Maybe not. I mean, maybe it was a matter of you know the, the studio. If a studio comes to a director, especially a young director like this mm-hmm. who doesn't have a lot under his belt, and says, "Here's a script. Uh, Day of the Earth, Day of the Earth stood still. We want you to direct it." Uh, I don't know if I would say no. No, I wouldn't. And so maybe you don't have all the best stuff to work with, and you try to do the best you can. Um, so maybe I don't put all the blame on the director for this one. Yeah, I don't. I don't ever put all the blame on any one person for any, or even the credit. But I look at it as you know, the buck stops with him to say to Keanu, something different. Yeah, <laughs> dude, not that. <laughs> Yeah, Keanu definitely, um, he's not one, he's not an actor that I always enjoy. There no. are films that he's done that I do like. Um, obviously, you go back to his early stuff, you know, Bill and Ted. It's, yeah. it's fun stuff. What, you know, how can you not? <laughs> um, he seemed right for The Matrix. The, you yeah. Know, honestly. The first movie. The first movie. He seemed right for it, and that, that that's good. And Speed. You know, yeah. actually, Speed's a hell of a ride. Yes. You know, to use the, the vernacular of the film there. <laughs> uh, love it. But there's other films he does where it's like, why would you choose Keanu? Right. Well, this, was, this was a horrible idea. He doesn't have the best range. Um, he, I wouldn't say he's a one-dimensional actor, but he's not. He has his limitations. Yeah, he's, very, he's pretty limited. He's great in John Wick. He brings a lot mm-hmm. to that role. Um, not a lot of lines. <laughs> 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 kind of plays into it. 
Um, but he's not just sort of like, you know, plain face, no emoting, like he's gritting his teeth, he's getting into it. So he can be great for certain roles. This wasn't one of them. <laughs> no, I, I think this role needed uh, an actor he, with, and I, I hate to use the word because everyone always uses the word gravitas. Sure. But I, I think someone charming, someone. someone interesting. Yes. Uh, yes, someone. Oh, charming is a great because I'm. Yeah. Again, go back to the 1951. Michael Rennie is just very charming. charming. You, yeah. I mean, you just this guy seems interesting. He yeah. walks into a room and you're you're just kind of it's a mag, He's got a kind of a magnetic personality, right, which happens in the movie. He walks in and all the people in the boarding house are like, well, "Who are oh, you?" Yeah. <laughs> if Keanu walked in, everyone would be like, "You stay over there." Yeah. <laughs> no, he's very charming. He's polite. Yes. You know, Keanu just plays everything and like, no, you stay over here. I don't. I don't want to. Right. He's very matter like that. Well, get back in your car. Like, you don't want to do that. <laughs> Things like, mm-hmm. are you just instructions being read to me? <laughs> What's going on? His script, everything was on a cue card just it, off camera. Yeah. And he, it's, yeah, it's just that faraway look in his eyes, but it didn't play to the character. Yeah, it was bizarre. <laughs> yeah, very. So, yeah, that's my biggest issues is just it did nothing. It said nothing. The film just did nothing. That's <laughs> that's my big issue with it. It just did nothing. Yeah. Don't don't remake a great classic, iconic, wonderful movie. Yeah, that's it's one of those things where every now and again the uh the idea of remaking Forbidden Planet keeps coming up. And I that's, don't know that movie. You've never seen Forbidden Planet. I haven't heard of it till you just said it. Oh well I'll have to I live you. under some rocks. You do, apparently. <laughs> I, I will it is an enjoyable, very young Leslie Nielsen as, okay. in, in, in a not-comedic really, role. Right. A lot of people don't know that about him. <laughs> yeah. He he did a lot of stuff that before the Naked Gun stuff, he was a dramatic actor. Mm-hmm. He was a leading man. Yes. Um, so it, it was a fantastic film. It was um, big production, okay. huge. Uh, some of the best uh, Academy Award-winning special effects, huh? uh, just some fantastic uh, use with uh, animation and matte painting. And I'll just I'll just have to loan it to you. Sure, I'll watch it. <laughs> uh, it's also got an incredibly uh, innovative soundtrack. Cool. It's a soundtrack so innovative it wasn't eligible for Academy Award <laughs> because they use electronics okay. to make all the to, to make all the noises to make the the soundtrack the music. Uh-huh. And so since these guys were technicians and not musicians, they, they weren't be. part of the union. They couldn't be. So uh, they actually didn't even had to credit instead of. A soundtrack or anything they credit is is a uh, like the musical tonalities oh, or wow. something like that <laughs> electronic tonalities wow is what the it was credited in the film so they weren't even eligible for the academy award even though it was like mind-blowingly great for this movie and wow i can't believe you haven't did no. you haven't stumbled on this one okay i will i will loan you a, a very nice copy and so if they remake that i i think <laughs> i I don't. I, just, yeah, it, I don't see it. It's I, one of those things. Well, what are you bringing to it? You yeah. know, we talked about that last time with like a movie like Suspiria. Like, what are you going to bring to this? Yeah. Like, that was so ahead of its time. Well, and Forbidden Planet is actually, if you can think of it this way, is a little bit of a remake because it kind of is a retelling of the story of the Tempest. It's okay. kind of a Shakespearean uh, play. Sure. So it's it, it it in itself is kind of a remake. Sure. So. So yeah, they could remake. But they brought it. something to it. Yes, they brought <laughs> something very interesting to it. So yeah, I guess you could do it. But you know what? Maybe you could call it the Tempest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think I have anything else to say. Definitely don't have anything else to say about the Daily Earth stood still. No, I, I am not sorry. I avoided it this long. Uh, I think if I had seen it in 2008, I would have absolutely hated it. Yeah. Uh, now I just phew, it, whatever. It exists, and eventually it'll disappear. And you know what isn't going to disappear? The 1951 version. Right. <laughs> That's still there. So, I mean, I, I don't regret seeing this because there's never been a movie that I've said I wish I never saw that because mm-hmm. it helps you appreciate what's great. Not just for the original, but for movies in general. Like when, hey, you actually like, – Independence Day is still a really good movie even though it destroys cities. 2012 is not a good movie, even though it destroys cities. So, you know, there's this comparison that goes on. So you see something terrible to appreciate what's great, and this just adds to that. Absolutely. 
Well, next time we get together, we're going to discuss. We're actually kind of going to discuss two films. Yeah, uh, we're going to discuss the original and the remake, Dawn of the Dead, which I think should be interesting. I have not seen the remake. You have not seen the original. Yeah, that's funny. (laughs) We're going to flip flop on that and to kind of discuss them both a little bit. I'm going to watch the original actually this weekend just to remind myself because it's been too. It's been a long time since I've watched it. So that should be uh, interesting. Any thoughts on that, go ahead and send them to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. Tweet them at timeshifterspod or at movies at the mat or come join our Facebook page. That's going to do it.